You are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Well, we've now reached the last Sunday of the church year. Next Sunday marks the beginning of the new as we enter into the season of Advent. The calendar tonight marks this date as the Feast of Christ the King or the Feast of the Reign of Christ. And our gospel might have put a bit of a crick in your neck as we find ourselves confronted by a reading that you'd normally associate with Good Friday. Why now, at this time of the year, would the architects of the lectionary give us this little portion of the Passion story? Well, because as the liturgy for Palm Sunday phrases it, today we greet him as our king, although we know his crown is thorns and his throne a cross. This is the part of the knowledge that Christians carry of the crucified king, the crucified God. And here N.T. Wright comments, His true royalty, though, shines out in his prayer, Father, forgive them, and his promise, today you will be with me in paradise. Unlike traditional martyrs who died with a curse against their torturers, Jesus prays for their forgiveness. Like a king on his way to enthronement, Jesus promises a place of honor and bliss to one who requests it. And then Bishop Wright adds a little parenthetical note about the word paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Writing paradise in Jewish thought wasn't necessarily the final resting place, but the place of rest and refreshment before the gift of new life in the resurrection. And of course, the today, today you will be with me in paradise, is at the end of a long, hard struggle on those executioners' crosses for both Jesus and for the man he is forgiving and welcoming. One can't avoid the story's weight. There were Gnostic Gospels that arose in the second and third centuries that suggested that the divine Christ departed from that human body as soon as the crucifixion began. Because Gnostic thinkers simply couldn't bear the idea that the divine would suffer and feel pain. The divine has to be above pain and all the mess of this embodied human life, they reasoned. But no, Luke and the other three gospel writers would say, no, God entered into the very worst of the human condition precisely to redeem it, which then brings us to this reading from the epistle to the Colossians. Now, the lectionary would have had us start four verses earlier in the epistle, But I've chosen to sharpen it right down to this extraordinary poem that we read tonight. 
And yes, this piece of Colossians is poetry, no doubt. Paul, of course, typically writes in prose, sometimes somewhat rambling and even complicated prose. But a few times he leaps into poetry. It isn't clear if he was actually the author of this text tonight, or if he's citing something that his readers will already know, familiar. But it really doesn't matter whether he wrote it or is citing it. What he offers here is extraordinary. The poem begins with these lines. Christ is the image of the unseen God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him were all things made in heaven and on earth. Now, we are accustomed to a fully fleshed-out Trinitarian theology in which Christ is affirmed as of one being with the Father, as the Nicene Creed phrases it, adding, through him all things were made. But that creed dates to the late 300s, whereas this epistle to the Colossians is from the late 50s when Paul and others in the early church are still working their heads around the fullness of who Jesus was and is. Through him and for him were all things made. Before all he exists holds all things in one. Christ holds all things in one, Paul says, which is a staggering statement for those communities to affirm. Just given that a good many people who had known Jesus, who'd walked with him and heard him teach, were still very much alive and and part of this young church. That man we followed and we learned from, that man who was executed and then somehow returned to life more alive than you can imagine, that man Jesus holds all things in one? Paul, are you sure? Yes. Yes, he'd say. I'm more sure of this than of anything else I've ever taught. And then he continues. The church is his body, and he is its head. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In all things, he alone is supreme. God made all his fullness to dwell in him, to reconcile through him all creation to himself. Everything on earth and everything in heaven all gathered into peace by his death on the cross. Line after line after line in this poem are extraordinary and in fact world-changing. Here Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kismat really push us modern readers to see how revolutionary this all would have been in Paul's world. So they write in their book, Colossians Remixed. In a world populated by images of Caesar, who is taken to be the Son of God, a world in which the emperor's preeminence over all things is bolstered by political structures and institutions, an empire that views Rome as the head of the body politic, in which an imperial peace is imposed, 
sometimes through the capital punishment of crucifixion, this poem is nothing less than treasonous. In the space of a short, well-crafted three-stanza poem, Paul subverts every major claim of the empire, turning them on their heads and proclaims Christ to be the creator, redeemer, and lord of all creation, including the empire. This is all brought about not by a military victory, or an armed insurrection, or a revolutionary march against the empire, but instead the reconciliation of all of creation to Christ's self comes because all is gathered into peace by his death on the cross. Everything on earth and everything in heaven, Paul writes. It is what Frederick Buechner called the magnificent defeat, which is the sort of phrase I think Paul might himself have been really struck by, the crucifixion, the death of Christ as the magnificent defeat. Back in 2014, when Alana Lewandowski was working on her album, Behold, I Make All Things New, I received a phone call from her asking if I could go down to signpost music to record a reading for one of the songs on that album. Sure, absolutely, Alana. Nobody says no to Alana, actually. It's quite amazing. That song was The Christ Hymn, and it's a direct response to this text from Colossians tonight. In typical Alanis style, she had boldly reached out to four poets, Malcolm Geit, Scott Cairns, Joel McCarroll, and Lucy Shaw, asking each of them to write a poem in response to a particular line from this Colossians passage. And to Scott Cairns, she'd given the line, He is the firstborn from the dead. And when it came time to finish the recording of the song, Alana was asking me to read the poem for the album. It was a kind of rare privilege, partly because Scott Cairns is an extraordinary poet, and partly because it was coming out of this Colossians passage. I remember sitting in the recording booth, doing a practice run through the poem, and then getting the signal from the producer that they were now recording. Read, Jamie. I did then, and tonight I will leave you with that poem, copy of which is actually in your worship booklet tonight. And when we had invented death, had severed every soul from life, We made of these our bodies sepulchres, and as we wandered dying dim among the dying multitudes, he acquiesced to be interred in us. And when he had descended thus into our persons and the grave, he broke the limits, opening the grip, he shaped of every sepulchre a womb." In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So having cited that song by Alana Lewandowski in the sermon, I thought it would be good to share it here on the podcast. So I contacted Alana, said, can we use this song in the podcast and provide a link back to your stuff? And she said, yes, absolutely. So, we're going to close this sermon podcast in an unusual way, giving you the full song, the Christ hymn, from Alana's record, Behold, I Make All Things New. You can get this album, either as a hard copy or in a digital form, at alanalewandowski.com. That will be linked in the show notes. You can also see a fair bit of other really interesting stuff that she's been doing. So do check it out. But this, from Behold, I Make All Things New, is the Christ Hymn. Everything holds together. Everything. From stars that pierce the dark like living sparks to secret seeds that open every spring. From spanning galaxies to spinning quarks, everything holds together and coheres, unfolding from the centre whence it came. And now, that hidden heart of things appears. The firstborn of creation takes a name. And shall I see the one through whom I am? Shall I behold the one for whom I made? The light in light, the flame within the flame, icon to Theo, image of my God. He comes, a little child, to bless my sight, that I might come to him for life and light. When we had invented death, had severed every soul from life, we made of these our bodies sepulchres. And as we wandered, dying dim among the dying multitudes, he acquiesced to be interred in us. And when he had descended thus into our persons and the grave, he broke the limits, opening the grip, he shaped every sepulchre a womb.
Have you ever seen God on the ground? Palms press the floor, sweat dripping on the dirt, the cut and stretch of being human. A sacred shelter of presence, the fullness of He, creator of kingdoms and galaxies, of principalities and every moment crafted through time, the divine placed wholly in human flesh, the infinite squashed down into finite, like fitting 10,000 angels on the top of a pin, like the entire ocean is poured into a pool, like the wine is running over, like it's bursting at the seams, the Christ, he was bursting at the same. In whom all things hold together. In whom all things hold together. Anticipating long stretches of nothingness, we plunge south into California on I-5 prepared to be bored, uninterested in the view and a bit worried that we too may commit monotony. But then over us, clouds contribute their lenticular magnitude to the two-dimensional, carved by winds into streamlined eagles or spacecraft or B-52s. I take sky photos through the windshield, admitting that in spite of anonymity, there is never nothing. Required to obey gravity, we occupy open space with substance. All of us on the skin of the planet created to lift against the Earth's pull, yet sustained entirely. We live out our singularity along with olive and almond trees, oleanders, tarmac, huge trucks, until size becomes irrelevant. Smoke blue coastal range, stem of dry grass, brittle eucalyptus leaf, pebble ground into the ground. Each bear's love's print is held particular within the universe. Even the small, soft moth on the window of the rest area's dingy washroom, unaware of our scrutiny, its russet wings traced with intricacies of grey owns an intrinsic excellence.